0: Good morning, my dear friends. It is good to worship with you today in the house of the Lord. Good to welcome you who are online with us. We're glad to see you. If I were to ask you to list the most uh, famous of Jesus' parables, what would that be for you, do you think? Surely the, the Good Samaritan would have to be in the short list, wouldn't it? I mean, of, of all of the parables, that, that is one that everyone seems to have heard of. Even last week, the uh, secular headlines used the phrase Good Samaritan to describe someone who, uh, who helped with a heroic uh, rescue at sea. I mean, for for goodness sake, Puyallup has a hospital called the the Good Samaritan, so everybody knows this story, or at least something of the the understanding of this masterful story of compassion. One Sunday school teacher was telling her class about the story of the Good Samaritan. She she asked, if you saw a person lying on the roadside, all wounded and, and bleeding, what would you do? And one little girl finally broke the silence and said, I think I'd throw up. So, maybe you agree, but even if the blood and gore don't bother you, there is another aspect to this story that might make all of us feel a little bit queasy, and as it turns out, that was exactly what Jesus intended when He told the story. We are in a series called For. We often hear more about what Christians are against than what they are for, and so we're using this as an opportunity to declare that we are for our city, for our community, for our neighbors, for our families being on mission together. This morning we may be coming to the most challenging four of all, for the other, for the other. What do I mean by the person who is the other? Well, Jesus is going to talk about that today, and we're going to turn to this most famous of parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke's Gospel chapter 10. So turn with me if you will. You'll find it starts at verse 25. We'll break it up into a couple of sections. Listen now to God's Word. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. So Jewish leaders, as you know, the Pharisees, the scribes, all of them were always trying to trip Jesus up. And here's an instance, another time where we find it, a a religious lawyer uh, comes to Jesus and he asks him a question, not so he could learn something, but so that he could test him, so that he could trap him. The question was, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? But Jesus, being the great teacher that he was, he turns it right back on him. He says, well, what do you think? That's kind of our favorite alpha technique, isn't it? If you're an alpha leader, you know, well, what do you think about that? We turn it right back on them. And that's what Jesus said. The lawyer replies, well, love God with everything you have and and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, good answer. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer couldn't leave well enough alone. And we are told that he wanted to justify himself. Which means he wanted to figure out what the minimum requirement would be for him to follow that rule. And so he asked Jesus a follow-on question. Well, who is my neighbor? In other words, he was saying, tell me whom I must love. Tell me to whom I must be kind. So that I don't waste my time being nice to people who won't benefit me. I mean, it's really where he's coming from. It's a very cynical response. And Jesus' answer sends shockwaves through the crowd. So prepare to be shocked. Are you ready to be shocked? Here we go. Jesus replied, "...a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead." And took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. A tourist was walking in downtown Seattle yesterday and was accosted by men who beat him, stomped him, stripped him of his valuables, and left him unconscious in the gutter. Unfortunately, that is less and less a parable and more and more a reality of many of our most beautiful cities. We see video of this happening daily, and the list of unsafe places to walk in our nation is growing, and we seem unwilling to do anything about it. Well, every listener would have known exactly where Jesus was about to go with his story when he started out with the words, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Everyone would know what he was about to hear because that was a famously dangerous stretch of road. I have been there, I have seen it. It is lined with caves and cliffs and they were perfect places for hiding, for all the bad guys to hide. And sure enough, this hapless traveler was waylaid and beaten and robbed And left naked and comatose. And along comes a Presbyterian pastor. That's the priest in our story, okay, to translate it. Along comes a Presbyterian senior pastor, probably. And our our hopes rise when this paragon of virtue approaches. Alas, he spots the guy on the ground and he scoots over as far as he can to the other side of the road and continues on his way. Why won't that senior pastor stop? Inconvenience, fear that it might be a trap, which it often was, we don't know, but he just leaves the guy in the gutter. How many Presbyterian elders do we have? How many elders do we have present? Okay, it's your turn. Next comes a Presbyterian elder because that's who the Levite was. These were the lay people who were in charge of the church, in charge of the temple and its care. Uh, It was a very important and very respected religious role, but after glancing at the victim, he too scoots to the side and hurries on. So, so far the religious bigwigs are not faring so well in Jesus' story. They often did not in Jesus' stories. And maybe at this point the crowd begins to buzz because who is going to Who is Jesus going to make to be the hero of the story? Maybe he would make one of them the hero. They've talked about the religious establishment. Maybe he's going to talk about the lay people. Now, instead of religious hotshots, maybe it's going to be plain old Jewish Joe Smoe who will be the hero of his story. And so you can almost sense that they are leaning forward and eager for the punchline. And when it comes, everyone is knocked back on their feet the next word, the very next word we hear in the Greek syntax is samarites, Samaritan. After we've heard about the failure of the priest, the failure of the Levite, the very next word is samarites, a Samaritan. And Jesus could not have picked a more disturbing hero for his story. It is the Samaritan, not the priest, not the Levite, Not even the ordinary Jew, it is a Samaritan who has mercy and cares for the man and binds his wounds, who puts him on a donkey and takes him to an inn, who stays overnight to care for him, who pays for that care and promises to remit the balance of the debt upon his return to town. It is a Samaritan who shows compassion, a Samaritan who allows himself to be inconvenienced, who sacrifices his time and his wealth and risks his safety to care for this poor victim whom we presume to be a Jewish victim in the story. This is such a shocking turn in the parable that when Jesus turns to the lawyer when he's done and said, okay, so who demonstrated love for the neighbor? The lawyer can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. Did you notice that? He might have... And finally, he says, the one who showed mercy. He can't bring himself to say the word. Now, Samaritan means nothing to us. We have no hard feelings toward the Samaritans. We have no animus toward the Samaritan. No history with the Samaritans. We don't even know who they are or if they even still exist. This doesn't shock us at all. So how about this? A man was walking in downtown Seattle when he was attacked, beaten, robbed, and left in a coma on the street, A Presbyterian pastor saw him and walked by on the other side. So too a Presbyterian elder who came near, then kept walking. But then a Taliban came by. That would give you an idea of how shocking Jesus' story was. If we called this the parable of the good Taliban... That would give you a better idea of the disgust that the average Jew felt toward the Samaritan. They were the hated other in their culture. Why? Well, you got to go back centuries to understand it. Centuries before, Assyrians invaded the northern part of the, the Promised Land, the area called Israel. and. They took many Jews into exile with them, and they left many of the occupiers in the country to subdue that land. Despite the Lord's prohibition against intermarrying with unbelievers, it was a constant prohibition in the Old Testament, the Assyrian occupiers indeed intermarried with the Jews, the remaining Jews, and they created a race of Jewish half-breeds called Samaritans. Named after the area they lived in, Samaria. So they were ethnically impure, which was already a problem for their culture. But beyond that, the Samaritans adopted some of the religious practices of their occupiers. And so their worship became a blend of Judaism and paganism that was practiced in a temple built on Mount Gerizim and not in Jerusalem. So there was all kinds of reasons that the Jews to the south, the purebred Jews to the south, did not like, could not countenance the Samaritans. They despised them as impure, traitorous, heretical sellouts. And for centuries they nursed this contempt. If a Jew married a Samaritan, the marriage was not considered legitimate and he was disowned by his own family or she was. If a good, purebred Jew traveled from Jerusalem up to Galilee, they would rather cross over the Jordan River, walk north on Gentile land, and then cross over the Jordan River in the other direction than to, uh, and and in so doing, adding many, many miles to their trip rather than getting Samaritan dust on their sandals. That is how much they despised the Samaritans. It was a virulent racism. And yet Jesus very intentionally chooses to make the Samaritan the hero of his story. It is he who offered aid to a presumably Jewish victim. While Jewish clerics passed by the chance to help their brother, Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, shook up the crowd by speaking well of their ancestral enemy. And by the way, this isn't the only time that the gospel confronts this ancient hatred In John chapter 4, do you remember? Jesus chose to walk right through Samaria, not around Samaria, as was the practice of good Jews. He walked right through Samaria. He stopped at a well where he was hot to get something to drink. He met a Samaritan woman, a woman with sexual, um, a a disreputable woman who had a, a disreputable sexual past, and yet he speaks with her and shares the gospel with her. And she, in turn, evangelizes her entire community. She is the first Christian evangelist. A Samaritan woman to a bunch of Samaritans, if you can imagine that. Jesus was kind to Samaritans. He spoke well of Samaritans. It is even mentioned when he healed ten lepers that the only one who came back to thank him for healing was a Samaritan. In fact, here's something I had never seen before. Read this story a lot. Read this gospel a lot. i would never seen this before. In the chapter just before this one, Luke chapter 9, just before our parable, we read this story. And Jesus sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparation for him. But the people did not receive him. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. I had never seen this before. Just before Jesus tells the parable with a Samaritan as the hero, a Samaritan village refused him hospitality, which is a terrible affront in Middle Eastern culture. And the sons of thunder are ready to call down fire on them. But Jesus rebukes them and just moves on. Again and again in His ministry, Jesus modeled what it's like to be for your enemy, for the person who is unlike you, the person who might hate you, who might even give you reason to hate them. This is the most counter-cultural thing Jesus ever taught. Don't just love your neighbor. Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Love your despiser. Love those who are unlike you. Love the other. Do you have any others in your life? The list seems to be growing these days, doesn't it? Do you have a person that you mistrust or fear or doubt or even struggle with hating? Who, when you see them on TV, cause you to curl your lip in disgust? Is it the Taliban who right now are roaring through Afghanistan, mocking Americans, imposing Sharia law, killing and torturing and raping? Is that your other? Is it Antifa? Is it Proud Boys, BLM activists? Is it those who are on the other side of the political aisle? There's never been a more dangerous time to disagree politically than in this time. These days we don't just disagree, we we despise our political opponents. We want them silenced and canceled. Or how about the millions of immigrants who are streaming across our border into our country? Are they your other? Do you spies, despise them? How about the homeless who have taken hostage our streets of our most beautiful cities? I'll be honest with you much of what I just listed to you, when I see them on TV, it disgusts me. I find my lip inadvertently curling in disgust. It makes me recoil, good Presbyterian senior pastor that I am. So, what does the message of Jesus, what is the spirit of Christ? Say to you and to me, who maybe don't want to be for these others, you you want them to vote the right way. You want them to go away, or behave, or clean themselves up, or get sober, or be more patriotic, or stay in their own country. What does this parable offer in the way of advice and hope as to how we might be for those who are other than us. Not to mention those in our own darn families whom we cannot stand. Or who cannot stand us. Or the feeling is very mutual. What shall we do with these people? I want to pull one idea from this story. Just one. One simple principle. Here it is. Unrequited kindness. Unrequited kindness. Kindness, As you know, unrequited means unreturned. It's one way, a one-way street. So what I mean when I say this is performing an act of kindness toward an other in your life, someone different than we are, someone who might oppose us or hate us, doing so for the sake of Christ without any expectation of quid pro quo. Unrequited Kindness. Isn't that exactly what the Samaritan did? He treated his Jewish enemy with kindness, and that's all. That's all he did. He did not, so far as we know, become his best buddy. There's not even a conversation recorded between them, probably because he was still comatose. But they didn't talk their way towards a a settlement or a reconciliation. They, They didn't talk through their issues. The Samaritan just stopped performed first aid, delivered the man to a place of safety, covered the tab, and got nothing in return. And he did not expect it. I wonder, and I know it's a story, but let's play the story out. When the victim woke up, what did he think? When he found himself in a strange bed in a strange inn, speaking to a strange innkeeper, what did he say? Where am I? How did I get here? Who brought me here? What? Who paid the tab? A Samaritan? You have got to be kidding. A Samaritan. Hmm. The parable invites us to imagine how one man's heart, one man's life, and perhaps even future attitude might change because a historical enemy performed an act of kindness without expecting acknowledgement or reciprocation. Or even a thank you. So here's the key to this idea. If it will be of any use to the work of the kingdom. Expect nothing in return. Expect nothing in return. When you choose to perform an act of unrequited kindness. For a person you might otherwise avoid or ignore or despise. Expect nothing in return. Then you won't be disappointed. Don't expect a thank you, don't expect a quid pro quo, don't even expect a change of heart. This is just an act of pure grace on your part, sowing seeds that may never grow. And if they do grow, it's a harvest you may never reap. You aren't doing this to be thanked or appreciated or repaid. You aren't doing this to make friends or to patch things up. You aren't doing this to open up a conversation about your issues. You are doing it simply as a revolutionary act of love for the sake of Christ, modeled for us by our Savior. I don't know why I'd never really thought about it this way before, because I have read this parable a lot. I've preached this parable a lot. But I had never really thought about the Good Samaritan as an allegory for Jesus, other historians and theologians certainly have. It never really crossed my mind, but to think of it in those terms shifts it for me because it is Jesus who discovers us in our broken and humiliated state alongside the road of life. When religion fails us, the priest, when following the moral laws fail us, obeying all the rules, the Levite, when they fail us and just leave us in a helpless heap, it is Jesus who comes to us. Jesus who tends to our wounds, Jesus who bears us upon himself, Jesus who takes us to a place of rest and healing, Jesus who says, I have paid the price, the entire price, whatever this person's restoration costs, I am the only one that will pay the price. It is on me. This is what makes it possible for us to be for our others, for our enemies, for Our life. Not because we try to be nice or moral, that only makes us like the religious lawyer who is trying to justify himself, trying to check all the boxes. No, the reason we do this is because when we notice someone who hates us or rebels against us or mistreats us or demeans us or disparages us or persecutes us. We are reminded of how we behaved toward God in exactly the same way. And how Jesus came to us, nevertheless, in that rebellious state, anyhow, saved us when no one else could or would. The cross of Jesus is the ultimate act of unrequited kindness. And that is what empowers and inspires us if we choose to perform revolutionary acts of kindness to those who may never return the favor. Do this, Jesus said, and you will live. It's asking a lot, Lord, perhaps even too much, for if ever there's been a long list of others, of enemies, of brutal and sadistic people in and around us and around this world that list is very long right now we tend to be contemptuous, we tend to be resistant, we tend to be angry we don't have it in ourselves Lord to be kind to those who mistreat us we don't have it in ourselves to love those who hate us, to be kind to our enemy and to pray for them we don't have it in ourselves but you live within us you who did all of these things for us and for our sake so God begin that work by your spirit changing our hearts a bit at a time that we might be kind to those from whom we'll never receive kindness from whom we'll never receive thanks reciprocity even a gratitude gratitude Lord, may these revolutionary acts of Jesus' love begin to change things in our family with that relationship that we just can't stand, in our neighborhood with that neighbor that we just can't stand, in our world with those people that we just can't stand. Because you loved and gave yourself for those who could not stand you. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.